There's a song that if you've been in church in any length of time, you know this song. It's a hymn. The songwriter says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. What? Since Jesus came into my heart. You know that song. I have light in my soul for which long I have sought. Since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray. And my sins, which are many, are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. And then that verse, I shall go there to dwell in that city I know. And I'm so happy, so happy as onward I go. Why? Since or when? Since Jesus came into my heart. Now that's a very familiar song. And you know and I know that since we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we know that we have eternal life, we know that we have been completely forgiven of all of our sins, we know that God now is not just somebody up there, but He is. He has become your and my Heavenly Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is my precious and your precious Lord and Savior. You know that... Uh, uh, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And you have to say that indeed was the greatest day that you ever experienced. Amen? I mean, you stop and think about it. Your whole life was changed. You became a new creation. You finally knew God for the very first time. And as I said, you now know that you're going to go to heaven when you die or the Lord comes back. You know that from what the scripture says. That's the greatest day of your life. But there's another day that's almost as comparable to that. It's the next best thing to getting saved yourself. And that's when God uses you to introduce somebody else who's been lost and searching and wondering what it's all about, and they give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're so filled with joy and excitement. I mean, they know their sins are forgiven, and they finally know that God is real, and they have the Lord living within them, and they now know that they're going to heaven. That's the second greatest day, I think, that anybody could ever experience who belongs to the Lord. The psalmist wrote these words, and you're very familiar with them. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. You can see the, the farmer out there, and that's way back in that agrarian society, you know, a couple, two thousand, three or four thousand years ago. He's got this bag of seed, he's going out, doesn't matter whether it's rain or sunshine, he knows there's work to be done, he's got to prepare his field, of course, and he goes out, and he, they call it broadcast, he puts his hand in, and he scatters the seed, he scatters the seed. And, and that's the time of work. There's not a whole lot of pleasure in that. So he goes forth, he says, in tears, but he shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, it says, bringing his sheaves with him. Finally, the harvest is there, and he goes, he cuts the harvest, and here he's got all this these sheaves with him, and now his heart is filled full of joy because of the work that he did back there in the sowing, and if you please, the weeping. We, le- we learn a little bit about that from Daniel, the prophet, in the last chapter he wrote. And it says, and those, and this is God speaking through Daniel, and those who have insight will shine brightly. How brightly? I remember some of the, I've watched, seen some of Mary's pictures. She's in the nursery today, by the way. 
But I've seen her pictures when she was traveling with our son Cham through Nepal. And you get up there in those mountains, and now you know you're pretty high. Not that she's on Everest, but you're way up there. And there's no city lights around anywhere. In fact, there's hardly any house lights anywhere, village lights. And boy, I mean, by the millions, it just says they're spread all over the sky. That's how brightly. That's how brightly. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, he says. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars. And how long? Forever and ever, he says. Isn't that great? That's God's promise to you and me. Jesus, of course, had a lot to say about you and me reaching lost people with the gospel. In John fifteen sixteen, he said this to his 11 disciples. Judas was already gone at that time. And this, you might remember, was in the upper room, or at least just as they left there. He said to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Just before he ascended back to heaven, he gave us that scripture which everyone here knows is called the Great Commission. In other words, he says, I'm now commissioning you. You're very, very familiar with that. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. There's a process of going and a process of discipling. But you can't disciple somebody until they're saved. And so he says, get out there, and I'll go with you, because although I'm with you always to the end of the age, and he says, you get out there, and I will use you, and they will come to saving faith, and then, of course, don't leave them in that condition. Disciple them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And again, lo, he says, I am with you always even to the end of the age. What's that tell you? It tells me that when you leave here, the Lord is going to go with you. When you go back to your workplace, He's going with you. When you go to your neighborhood where you live, He's going with you. When you go off to school, He's going with you. And lo, I am with you always. You're not by yourself, dear one. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you, even to the end of the age. And then there's a passage I want us to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 4. So turn in your Bibles there, or you can see the text behind me on the wall. Matthew chapter 4. We call that the handwriting on the wall, by the way. So you want to pay attention to that. And I want to read verses 17 through 25. Matthew 4, 17 through 25. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The verse I want to in particular look at is verse 19. You probably would have guessed that. Verse 19, where he said to these four men, Follow me, and I, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice what Jesus said would be true of those who follow him. I will make you. God, Jesus will do it. I will make you fishers of men. When Mary and I and the boys, we pretty well raised our kids uh, those early years, uh, were living in Seaside. One day, an old fisherman by the name of Curly Teeple came to my house. He had this old, uh, rusted-out, four-wheel drive pickup, and he showed up at my house. I knew he was coming. He told me he was. And he picked up Daniel and Stephen. I think Daniel's about seven. Stephen was about six or so. And uh, and me, and we got in that old pickup, and it was one of those days like today, drizzly sort of day, you know, out there. And uh, he took us out to what we call, well, it's a sand spit. It's at the mouth of the Columbia River. Now, it's not clear out to the mouth. It's about a mile uh, from the mouth. And so we drive out there to the south jetty, and, and that'll pick up. And you have to have four-wheel drive. Otherwise, you have to walk that mile distance. But anyway, we, we're there, and we get in a four-wheel drive, and we go across that sand, following the Columbia River out about a mile. And he turns around, and he faces the, the river there. We stop there. Remember, it's a drizzly day. It's kind of like, do you really want to be here? Now, I'm particularly thinking this old man's a little bit on the, you know. But but still, I like to fish. And so we go out there, and we get out of the pickup, and Curly gets out, and he shows us how we have these big, long surf poles, about uh, 14 to 18 feet long. And uh, and then you have these plastic tubings that you, uh, tubes that you, uh, you, you pounded into the uh, sand to hold the surf pole. And he showed us how you would, uh, you had this pyramid weight and then a, a bobber, and then you had two hooks, and he showed us how to hook the herring on there. And then you step back like this, you take that pole, and you run like this, and you throw it as far as you can out there. You know, okay. Then you put a bell on the top of that pole, and you stick it in the pole holder, and then you get back in the pickup where it's dry. <laughs> was, I'm thinking this guy's a little bit on the crazy side, I really am. I mean, but, but Curly warned us out there, and... Good time with him, you know, and the boys. And so we're sitting there and talking about this and that and going on for a while. I don't know how long we went on. And suddenly there was a noise. Ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. And that went out. Bang, 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 bang. Like that pole was a bounce like that. It was Daniel's pole. So we bail out. You know, here's this seven-year-old. Like this great big circle. You know, he's got it between his legs. He's trying to create the, come on, Daniel, come on, you know. You don't know how exciting that is when you finally see that seven-year-old son bring, you know, about a five- or eight-pound salmon right into the shore, just drag it up on the beach. Old Curly made a believer out of me. Later on, he said to me, he said uh, one other day, he said, you know, let's go out to the jetty. Now, the jetty, as you know, is great big rocks. 
So Curly, again, he and I are there together, and it's a sunshiny day. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, we go the same way. We get out there to the south jetty, and we go on out to the sand spit, and we drive a little about a mile and a half all the way around, following the Columbia River, this side to the mouth, and, and then right to the jetty itself, and then we begin to climb up on those huge rocks. Here's the thing about that. I think Curly must have been in his 80s. You know, this, this, he's a big guy, I mean tall. He's got this circle, he's on those rocks, you know, and, and he's about ready to throw it out to you. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, help. Because it's hard to get, you got to get down off those rocks down, down near the water there on the other side. And I think he's going to go over. That's what my fear was. Fortunately, he knew what he was doing. So we got our pole set up there, and I think we were two, three hours just talking, just talking, you know, having our lunch, having coffee, whatever. And, and you know, we did it more than once. There were times we went out there, and after about four or five hours, what do you do? You're, you reel it in, and you go home. One of the reasons for that is because when you're on the south jetty, the fish have to be coming around that way toward the jetty, and then, of course, they follow the jetty out and come in the mouth of the Columbia River. But one of those days we're out there, same old thing, you know, we get prepared, and we're talking, and suddenly those poles, those bells begin to ring. That's a little bit different on the jetty because you got to figure out how to get down. you got your pole, and you got to get down over all those massive rocks down toward the water itself, and the waves are coming in too, depending on how rough it is, and you reach down with a net or a gaff, and you bring the fish up that way. But Curly, that day, I'll tell you what, we limbered out in short order. I got my two, he got his two. This is fun. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Let's get in the pickup and go back home and get the guys. So we get Daniel and Stephen. He gives us two boys, and they go out as well, and they limit out. Now, it got so exciting out there, I think we got one too many fish, but don't tell anybody that, John. I'm thinking, what are we going to do with this extra fish we got here, you know? Man. The point of my story is this. You could not go out with old curly people and not catch fish. Now, you might miss a number of times when you went out, but you could not go out with that old guy and not catch fish. And the Lord says the same thing. You cannot go with him and not catch fish. That is a divine law, the law of God's kingdom. If you follow Jesus, he says, he will cause you and me to catch men. If you follow Jesus, listen to this, if you follow Jesus, people are going to get saved. Amen? That's right. That's what he says. Now, the devil knows this law. He knows this law, and he doesn't want you and me to be successful. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you believe in Jesus, people are going to get saved. Guess what? Probably the majority of you here believe in Jesus. And you know about him. I mean, you've been all your life in church for some of you. And you know about Jesus. And you say, well, why are people not getting saved? I'll tell you why. It isn't that you just, and that's important that you believe in him. The problem is, he said what? You have to follow. You have to follow him. So we need to be clear about what it means to follow Jesus. And that's in your outline. And you know, it'd really be good if you fill this out. It's not that hard to fill out, but I'm trusting that God will use this in my life and your life as well. What does it mean to follow Jesus? First of all, first of all, to follow Jesus means I recognize I am in his presence. I recognize that I'm in his presence. 
It is amazing when you stop and just think about in your own life, and I think about it in my life, how we can go day in and day out, hour after hour, and not even be aware and think about the fact that you are in his presence, I am in his presence. Now, obviously, with the disciples, this wasn't so hard because he was right there as they were following him. After he ascended back up into heaven, it was a different story, but they had to do it the same way you and I do it, through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. But we must, to follow Jesus means I recognize I am in his presence. I want you to look at a second passage of scripture, but don't lose your place in Matthew 4. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Very interesting. Luke chapter 5, and this is number one under that main point, Peter. Peter in Luke 5, I'm going to read 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So here's Peter in the boat. Here's Jesus in the boat. Jesus shows up. He's got this massive crowd. He's ministering and speaking and teaching this crowd. And he says, look, I want to use your boat, so just step out, get, get, just uh, row it out a little ways, drop anchor, and there he talked with the people. And verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. This is the second time you're going to find this text. This is the second time that Jesus called them and commanded them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So he shows up the second time. And you know the story. They've been out fishing all night, didn't catch anything. And so they're now in. They're probably tired like you are right now because you missed that hour of sleep. And uh, and they're mending their net. And he comes along, and he starts teaching them. And they're, they're listening to him. And he specifically chooses Peter. I like that. As if maybe he might specifically choose you in a situation or me. In a situation. He said, I want to use your boat. So he lets him in the boat. And he finishes his teaching. And that's also interesting as well. Because we love the teaching of the Lord. Don't we? Amen? Oh yeah, I love the teaching. I love to hear sermons. I I, I went down to Oregon and back. And I listened to lots and lots of sermons. Not my own, by the way. I did listen to one of them. Just to see what I said. But I mean other people as well. Yeah, we love the teaching of the Lord. But this is beyond teaching here. This is beyond teaching. He says to them, he says to Peter, he said, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now we, he say, now wait a minute, Lord, look at what Peter, so verse 5. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. I've lived in my neighborhood a long time. Don't see people getting saved. You go to work and I had secular jobs, didn't see people get saved. Go to school. Look, I been there, done that. What does Jesus say? We're told on at night and caught nothing, but all right, I'll do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, 
They enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. I think this is so interesting because Jesus, what? He gets in the boat. He says, I'm commanding you. Take me out. They go out. He says, look, we tried that. Didn't work. I don't care what you tried. and Didn't work. I told you to go out there. Let down your net. And so they let down the net. And they say, Jesus is going to make sure they get the message here. They're not going to catch just a few fish. And you know how fish move around anywhere in the caught in the net? And I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's wild. This thing is full of fish. It's so full the nets are breaking. It's so full that when they call their buddies over to help them bring the nets in, both of the boats about sink. What's the point? Jesus says, you follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, and you will catch men, if you please. Going on in the story. When they had done this, they, verse 6, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, this is, this is a load of fish. I mean, this has never happened to these fishermen. Never. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, here it is, now this is the second time. Somehow they missed it the first time. This is the second time. Do you do not fear from now on you will catch or be catching men. You see why Jesus filled that net so full of fish, and even allowed them to try in their own endeavors and efforts to catch fish all night long and caught nothing, because he says, I'm the one that will cause you to catch fish. Just follow me, and you will catch men. So Peter, to follow Jesus means I Recognize I am in his presence. Believe me, he realized he was in the presence of God. And God knows what he's doing. And God is able to do it through you as well as through me. As doofus as we might be at times. Secondly, under that point, become God conscious. We've missed that, folks. I missed that. I can move through days and hours during those days and not think about God at all. I'm thinking about this and that and other things and so forth. Become God conscious. Practice the presence of God. That reminds me of Brother Andrew. He did his pots and pans back there what, the 16th century. And people said the amazing thing about Brother Andrew is he is always in the presence of God. He just practiced washing the pots for God. Putting the things out for the meals for God. Practice. Become God conscious. Practice the presence of God. But number two, and what does it mean to what it means to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus means I recognize I am in His presence, becoming God conscious, day in and day out, moment by moment. But number two, to follow Jesus means He does the leading. He does the leading. In Matthew four, eighteen through twenty two, let me read that again. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus does the leading. He commanded and they obeyed. It's interesting, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their occupation, and they left their father. They, what? Followed Jesus. In Matthew 4, 23-25, he's going to leave that area or go further out from the Sea of Galilee. And it says he was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And guess what? These disciples, these four did what? They went with him. Where he led, they went. Because God says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Thirdly, Thirdly, by the way, Proverbs 3, 5, well, Psalm 32, 8, I will, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. So he makes that promise to you and me that if we will follow him, he will instruct, he will teach, he will guide. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what did he say? He shall direct your paths. We know that verse, those verses. He shall direct your paths. Number three, to follow Jesus means, this is a tough one, I love every person I meet. Can't do it. Sorry. You can't do it. I can't do it. But that's what it means. To follow Jesus means I love every person I meet. To do this, you're going to have to give up your prejudices to the Lord. And believe me, I've got a bunch of them. And the more wicked this world gets, the more my prejudice seem to be showing up. You know? I see certain people on t- television and I right away realize I really don't love that person. God's going to have to deal with my prejudice. He's going to have to deal with your prejudice because you're going to see people that you're not going to agree with their lifestyle. You're not, agree, you're, going, you're not going to agree with how they respond and their bitterness and anger and hatred and so forth. But what did he say about love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So it's not me trying to conjure this up. It is allowing him to love them through me. Perhaps, by the way, under that, remind yourself there's only two groups of people. And you know that already. There's only two groups of people. There are those that are redeemed and they're in the family of God just like you are. And then there are those who are not redeemed and they're one heartbeat from an eternal damnation. They're in the same condition you and I were. But God wonderfully stepped in using somebody to love us. Somebody that was following him that came to us and was using their gifts. And we got saved. And he wants to use you and me in the same way. Just two groups of people. Every person you meet is either going to heaven or going to hell. And it's called a vapor and it's over and then their eternal state is settled forever. So in this little vapor of time, get rid of the prejudice with God's help. And by the Spirit of God, love those people even though you don't love what they stand for and their wicked, evil life. Love them with the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the next, uh, under that, number two, under to follow Jesus means to love every person I meet. And that is remind yourself there are only two groups of people. But number two, under that, view the people you meet through the eyes of Christ. 
I mean, that's the only way you're going to love them. View the people you meet through the eyes of Christ. He deeply loves them, cares about them, despite their sinful, rebellious lives. Get in the habit of reminding yourself every time you meet a person that Jesus loves them and wants to love them through you. He said he's still here. The book of Acts, all that Jesus began to do and teach, he's continuing on through you and me. He's still here through you and me. And so he says, I want to love them through you. So let me help you with your prejudice, your pride, and fill your heart with love for them. Break your heart. So view the people you meet through the eyes of Christ. Number three under that, develop the habit. This is interesting. Develop the habit of putting them first above yourself. Well, that's going to tear down that prejudice wall, isn't it? Develop the habit of putting them first above yourself. Honor them whether they deserve it or not. This is going to take on your part, my part, great humility. But we must remember who we belong to and who we serve. In that point, What are you doing when you love them and put them above yourself? You are now building a bridge over to them. One of the problems that's going on today, why we don't see people get saved in our neighborhood, perhaps in our families, where we work, is no bridges are being built because of these steps not being followed. If you follow Jesus, you will find yourself building bridges. By putting them, and by the way, as we saw there in that uh, little uh, clip there during the offertory, everybody's hurting. Everybody's struggling with somebody and wanting answers and solutions. And God says, look, I put you in their life that you would build a bridge over to them so that they might see that I love them through you. And I may have to do a major work in Bill Walker's life before he will love them with my love and he will see them with my eyes. But I want to do that, he says. And the same is true with you. So build that bridge. I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, you you stop and think about it. This church, and I'm not trying to fill the church. I really mean that. It just means more headache for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, just think, if we had 300, 600 people, we, uh, there, there's ministry that goes on all the time. I mean, it just it gets bigger and bigger and bigger if you do that. But here's my point. It isn't that fill the church. That's not my goal. The point is, if we were all following Jesus, people are going to get saved. That's the point. People are going to get saved. And then they want to come and grow and worship the Lord and so forth. And that's exciting. By the way, that really is the life of the church when you think about it. The life of the church is those newborn babies. And I don't mean filling our nursery full, although that's wonderful too. I'm talking about newborn Christians coming here so excited about the Lord. Man, I used to be in this type of life and God totally changed my life. And now I have the joy of the Lord. And oh man, I've been forgiven of all my sins. And man, I can't get enough of this. What does that do to us? Whoa, we can't get enough of it either. This is the real stuff. Man, you dead people, you. I'll tell you. (laughs) Boy. Develop the habit of putting them first above yourself. Build that bridge. And then number four, silently pray for them. We need to cultivate that habit. Just silently in your presence, pray for them. God, give me your love for this person. Please show me how I can minister to them. Please show yourself to them through me and bless them. 
Just silently pray for them and mean it with all your heart. So to follow Jesus means to love every person I meet that he puts in my pathway. Obviously, some are going to be in your pathway a whole lot longer than others. Some are just going to be casual and gone, but but others longer. Number four, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Number four, to follow Jesus means I begin every day recognizing God left me here for others. Wow. To follow Jesus. I'm I'm not talking about now learning about Jesus. Knowledge, which is important. No, I'm talking about following Jesus. To follow Jesus means I begin every day recognizing God left me here for others. That's your number one priority. I mean, sure, we're to worship the Lord. Bring honor and glory. But what he said, by this is my Father glorified, John 15, that you bear much fruit. And part of that fruit is going to be people coming to saving faith as well as your development in righteousness and so forth. Though you have a family to raise, a job to go to, school to go to perhaps, still the number one purpose God left you and me here for is to get people saved. And all that time is swiftly running out. I think we've lost sight of him, pulled off this number number one priority. In Luke 19.10, it says, Jesus came. I like what it says. Jesus came to, do you know the next word? Jesus came to seek. Oh, seek. It's kind of like playing hide and seek. He came to seek, to search out, to find, and to save those who are lost. He's still doing it, but this time he's using you and me to seek those lost people. I mean, that's effort. That's number one priority. I'm suddenly real, oh, I'm here to seek them out and let God use me to reach them. Number two under that, to follow Jesus means I begin every day recognizing God left me here for others. Number two, your mission field is your neighborhood that you live in and your job. I might add school. It might be your family members as well. I know that. But your mission field is your neighborhood. You know, uh, three weeks ago, Mark talked about being salt and light. And I listened to that message as I was traveling. And one thing you might recall, he said, if you're not doing it at home, what in the world makes you think you can go to the mission field and do it there? It's right. You know, it's be done right here at home. My mission field's my neighbor. My neighbors. It's the job. You realize this, you may very well, especially today, especially today, you may be the only light that any person in your neighborhood or where you work ever sees. I mean, how many unsaved people have Bibles everywhere? Not that they can't get them, but how many buy a Bible? I mean, Gideons go out. Where are you, Dell? Yeah. And... Some of them won't take the Bible, others take it and throw it away. I mean, they're not interested in the Bible. How many turn on television and watch Christian television? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the unsaved. They don't care about that. And they're certainly not interested in church. I mean, they're, they're, they're so far this side, maybe that side, I don't know, whichever. They're, 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 so, they're not interested in that. And God says, guess what? I put you exactly where they live. I put you right there where they work. Build that bridge to them. 
Honor them. Put them first. That's work. And so I think we've forgotten that. Jesus led you to the neighborhood you live in. I realize you have to have a job. He led you to the job where you work. But he's involved in all of this because he's seeking to save lost people. Often Christians hate their job. And you know why they hate it? They hate it because of those filthy, loudmouth, sinning, unsaved people down there. They swear all over the place, terrible music. They're terrible in their behavior. I mean, i sure they are. Well, that's the way a lot of most unsaved people are. Not all of them, but they're that way. And you say, man, I, God just deliver me out of that job. Give me, a, give me a job preaching or something, you know, where I don't have to be around these kind of people. Uh, listen, he put you there to reach those people. You are the salt and light, as Mark mentioned three weeks ago. Your mission field is your neighborhood, your job, your school. Pray that God will open your eyes and change your attitude if that's what's needed. And by the way, we need to pray for one another, don't we, in this area? It's the body of Christ upholding each other in this area to pray for one another that we will get on fire for the Lord and let him use us because we are placed in that neighborhood or that job or the school or the setting that we are in. You you are God's missionary among those lost people. God wants to save and transform. When you go to work, use that time. I imagine most of you drive to work as you're going to work. Use that time to prayer, to in prayer, to prepare yourself and begin to pray by name for those people you work next to. As I said, they're complicated. They're going through difficulties in their life. They've got struggles. They're trying to figure out all this as the world's coming apart at the seams. Maybe their marriage is coming apart at the seams. Maybe they have kids that are in rebellion. Maybe it's sickness they're dealing with or financial issues. I mean, they're in this mess that they're sinking in this quicksand and so forth. Begin to pray by name for them. And you know what? God will begin to soften your heart and God will begin to build bridges to them. And the time will come. I'm not saying use the boss's time to witness, the time will come when you'll have the opportunity, because God, what do you say? Follow me, and I'll make you fish. Peter, take the boat out there into the deep. I've been there. Can't catch anything. Try to, fine. Do what I say. All right. At your bidding, I'll do it. And he puts the net out there, and suddenly, the unbelievable catch of fish, and he said after he got done, what? Follow me, and you'll catch men. Follow me. And you'll catch men. That's what he made the promise to you and me as well. So in the mornings or whatever time you go to work, begin to pray. God, I'm headed here. I know I have to work. I pray for myself that you prepare my heart. May I have, maybe have a lousy attitude for reasons, you know, and so you have to work through all that. Maybe it's prejudice that you have. Maybe it's that somebody you just flat don't like them and they don't like you and you wish you could transfer to another position. Begin to pray for them. Oh God, there one heart be from eternal damnation. Would you open the door? Would you help me to die to myself and by the power of the Holy Spirit to build a bridge over to them and then, Lord, just create in their life that situation and give me the wisdom and and the boldness and the graciousness to walk across that bridge and take them by the hand and say, you know what, I don't know what you're going through, but I make this promise. I've been praying for you and I'll keep right on praying for you. I know that God, I don't have the answer, but God does. 
I promise you, I will pray for you. And you know what? You've just built a bridge. You've just taken a hand of an unsaved person that somebody down there cared for them. Same in your neighborhood. You think all those neighbors are getting along great and having a wonderful time, everything's going super? You know better than that. He says, listen, I'll do the same in your neighborhood. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm reminded of this old illustration. You probably heard it a hundred times about the shoe salesman that way back in the 1800s, they sent over to Africa, and he went over there. Some man, oh man, wrote back to them, telegraph. I said, don't send any shoes. Nobody over here wears shoes. Okay. Okay. So he comes back. Another guy said, I want to go. So he goes over there. He looked at man, send all the shoes you can. There's a need. Nobody has shoes here. They need shoes. What is it? Different of perspective. Different of perspective. Number five. To follow Jesus means I have a clear message to share. To follow Jesus means I have a clear message to share. Under that, Jesus' message to the people of his time. Look at verse 17. Jesus' message to the people of his time. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what? Two things about that. Is there a need for repentance today? Oh, my. I mean, I'm, I would think even the unsaved person that's wallowing in his sin or her sin and even the pleasures of sin but is just sinking in the sand and realizes that the world is falling apart must understand that there's a need in their heart for repentance. But then the other part, the kingdom by heaven's hand, of course, the Lord was there. The kingdom was in their presence. But you know what? That kingdom is now, right now, it is right at the door. Don't you feel that? Maybe that's the wrong word to use. Don't you sense that? I can't, I just, I, I'm, I stagger at where we are as a nation and as a world and what's going on. And I say, man, oh man, Lord, when I say it's coming apart at the seams, it really is coming apart at the seams. And you can't but sense that God is very, very soon going to step into the affairs of mankind and look at Revelation and the judgments he pours out because of their out-and-out rebellion worldwide against him. We're at the door. And so many things... Eric Barger talked about when he was here about the, I think, ten different signs that says that it's that close. And I can say amen to what he shared with you and I heard on tape as well. And so two things, people need to repent. And secondly, the kingdom of heaven, boy, it is right at the door. But also look at verse 23. Jesus was going through all the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's gospel. That's good news. Tell them the good news. You have a savior. And he came to seek and to save you. My Number two under to follow Jesus means I have a clear message to share. And that's our message to our culture. Our message to our culture. We now have a generation, dear ones, you're probably very familiar with that. They have no idea who 
Jesus Christ is. I mean, I was raised in, as a child in Sunday school and daily vacation Bible school and church. I mean, all my life, I've known who Jesus is. But now you have a culture of people that haven't even heard the name of Jesus except as a swear word. Lucifer, you know the new program that's out. He's come down, I don't know, from heaven or hell. And uh, he's now in L.A. according to that. That's all they're going to know. That's, that's what they're going to know about Lucifer. Just what they get in Hollywood. I mean, that's the culture. I mean, realize uh, that, that there's... Uh, I forget the, what you said in your class, Heinz, about truth. But now, even truth has been completely lost. It's like there is no truth of any nature. That's where this culture is. But you know what preaches, uh, I appreciate and encourage in my heart? The culture changes. We know that. Dramatically changes, but the Word of God never changes. And it's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And when you preach the Word and share the Word with people, that is like unleashing a lion, letting it go, and it does its work. And God will use His Word to convict them and bring them to repentance and to saving faith. That's what encourages me. Culture, wow. If you think it's changed now, you wait in another ten years if you're around here. I was saying that to my wife. I said, and in fact, my, my uh, sister and brother-in-law, I said, you know, if we could just see 10 years from now, I think we'd be totally shocked of where the culture would have gone. Totally shocked. When you think of what's happened the last 20 years, or even 10 for that matter, and how Satan is going to be given his hour. Finally, he's going to get his hour. Can you imagine what he can do in an hour? means that period of time when he's, God says, all right, all restraints taken away. Have at it. Boy, what a hell it will be here on earth at that time. And so we see there that to follow Jesus means I have a clear message to share. I think of Romans 10. Write it down in your notes. Romans 10, 14 and 15 and verse 17. Romans 10, 14, 15 and 17. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And certainly they have not believed in this God that we're talking about. How can they call upon him? Believe. And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? You mean to tell me your neighbors may not have even heard about Jesus Christ? Probably not the clear presentation of him. Or where you work for certain. And how shall they hear without a preacher? It doesn't mean me. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet. And boy, when he said to them, follow me, and he says to you and me, follow me, he says, he looks and says, your feet are beautiful. You follow me, your feet are beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. So... Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You know, that's more true now than, well, back then it was true because they didn't have copies of Scripture. Now it's very true in your neighborhood and in where you go to school, as well as where you work, because they have to hear. They're probably not going to read it. They're probably not going to see it except in your life. They've got to hear it. And you and I are the ones. And by the way, nobody will ever get saved. If you just build a bridge and say, man, you are such a great guy. I'm glad you care about me. You're such a great lady. I'm glad you're concerned about my life. If that's all the further you've gone, then you have miserably failed. Because it's got to go beyond that to them. What? 
hearing the gospel. They've got to hear why they need to be saved and how they get saved. All right, they may turn you down. That's true. Many will. But what do you say? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You will catch men. Filling out your points there, we must help them comprehend who God is. I ask a, well, our speaker, he called me up to say thanks for having him, the missions conference speaker. I said, let me ask you, Michael, let me ask you a question that I've kind of been toying with. I think Sharam Hadian probably answered this when you had the Imperial for Apologetics. I said, this Allah, I want to know in the Arabic language, is Allah the main word they use for God? Because sometimes the issue is terminology. You say Allah is this way, but really, if Allah is the Arabic word for the Greek word for God, Theos, well, then you need to explain this God. He says, no, there's another word that they use for God. I said, oh, thank you for telling me that. So my point is you have to help them comprehend who this God is. Number two, we must help them understand God's plan. Man, if there's ever a time when the world is saying, what is the plan here? What's going on? Is this just chaos and that's it? Boy, if you believe in evolution, it is. But when you bring the Bible to bear to them and say, no, look at how prophecy has been fulfilled step by step accurately. Now suddenly you're able to share God's plan with them. And so we must help them understand God's plan. And by the way, that's a great starting place somewhere. People are very interested in what's going on in this world. As I said, it's falling apart at the seams and you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to talk about future things as God lays it out. Listen, you have a listening ear and opening heart there to that. And thirdly, we must help them understand how one receives Christ and gets saved. Well, he said here, follow me. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know the answer to this, but it's good to drive it home for my sake. And you're saying, if Jesus lived in Bill and Mary's neighborhood. Would it make any difference? I don't mean run around doing miracles. I mean, he lived at 27115 53rd Avenue Northeast. He lived there. Would it make any difference to all those neighbors around there? What about the Apostle Paul? Let's let Jesus go to heaven. Paul shows up. He lives there. You say, yeah, but I'm not Paul and I'm not Jesus. Amen. Amen. Neither am I. But what did he say to me? He said, Bill, follow me. Yes, learn about me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's no doubt that when you choose to live your day in the presence of God, daily working on being conscious of his presence, And when you let him lead throughout your day, and by his indwelling power you seek to love every person he brings across your path by doing what you can to help them experience God's blessing in their lives, and you live for others, not for self, and you seek to share God's clear message with them, you're going to see people come to saving faith. God's divine law guarantees that. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, in July, and you're aware of this, Mark and Kathy plan to go back to New Tribes for one or two years, and their heart's desire is to reach an unreached people group. Now, think about that. 
What did I say they're going to do? They're going to want reach unreached people group. I thought, that's interesting. I wonder if I have an unreached people group that I live next to. I wonder if I have an unreached people group, or you do, where you work. An unreached people group. And so they go to school, and they get the prepared, and they're, they're uh, brushed up on the stuff they need, and they go over to that tribe. What do they got to do? And you kind of, kind of figure out, you say, yeah, what, what, what do they have to do? Well, they're going to have to deal with that particular tribe's uh, uh, environment and so forth and of course learn their language and learn the customs that these people are dealing with you know and, and they're right in there mixing with them aren't they but they have one goal in mind and they can't never forget what the goal is I mean I've got to be received by them I've got to build a bridge to them I've got to learn their language I've got to learn their customs but the one goal is what I've got to reach them with the gospel of Christ and you know what we live in our neighborhoods and so often we don't do that we go to work and we don't, we think, well, sure, I gotta work and I've got to, uh, uh, get my paycheck and, and so forth to meet my needs. But we fail to realize, just like Mark and Kathy would be there for that one purpose, that's the one purpose God had in mind for you and me. I'll tell you what will happen. People will get saved. He says, how do you know that? Go out in the deep. Wait a minute, I fished all night. We're fishermen. Just go out and say, all right, at your bidding, I'll do it. They didn't catch one or two fish. God says, you learned something, didn't you, Peter? I'm in this. I came to save people. Just as I can fill that net full of fish, I can take you and cause you to reach people with the gospel and bring them to saving faith. To follow Jesus means I recognize I am in his presence. To follow Jesus means he does the leading. We take off without that. No, to follow Jesus means he does the leading. To follow Jesus means I love every person I meet. To follow Jesus means I begin every day recognizing God left me here for others. And to follow Jesus means I have a clear message to share. I close with this. When Curly Teeple came by my house, there was no doubt in his mind that sooner or later, Bill and Daniel and Stephen were going to catch fish. Man, that one summer we caught over 40 of them. <laughs> Daniel said, I am so sick and tired. By the way, uh, Tim Borisol, where are you? He, he the other day he said, "I am so sick and tired of fish. I don't want to eat salmon ever again." <laughs> he said, "But then you took us over to Tim Borisol's, and he had a special way of making it." He said, "Man, that was good." <laughs> All right. Well, God says, "You follow me. You're going to catch." Men. You know what? I appreciate that. I think it was Alan mentioned about Easter. And we're going to try to have flyers for you that you can use them. But that's just part of it. That's just a little part of it. But I recall when I first came here, we had flyers. We passed around to our neighborhood. And one of my neighbors came. And that neighbor got saved. And much, many years later, her husband also got saved. And they're in, in, they're, they're in church faithfully today. So listen, just a little flyer. That's a start. Follow me. And I will make you fishers 
of men. Heavenly Father, we like Bible teaching. We like things that really stir us up. And this message perhaps has stirred some people up, including myself. But here's the thing. I know, and they know, if we do no following, if I don't follow you to my neighborhood and let you lead in my neighborhood, that means you need my undivided attention, just like Mark and Kathy would go to an unreached tribe and have one purpose, figuring out how to reach that tribe. With you, I've got to figure out how to reach out with the love of Christ to my neighbor. And people who go to work, they can go to work. They can be good workers. They can be very moral and very ethical and all that, and still nobody gets saved because they're not letting you lead. Those people are hurting and they're lost. One heartbeat from hell. And time is swiftly running out for them. And yet you said, let me go down there to work with you. Let me lead. Let me help you build a bridge to them. Even if they're people you don't like at all and wish that they would go somewhere else, or you could get out of that situation and go to another job just to get away from them. Lord, instead, let us let you lead. And may multitudes of people, one by one, come to saving faith. As curly people would come by my house, I had was skeptical. But that old man knew how to fish. We caught fish. To follow you, we will catch men. May it be so. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.